Hi, everybody, and welcome back to yet another cracking installment of the Map Round Show. This is the built-in Colorado series because it's so rad here. Um, <laughs> I'm renaming it every show. Someone's got to believe, baby. Uh, but with me on the line is the uh, founder and CEO of the Auxilia or Auxilia. Well, the Auxilia.com, but Auxilia is a company. Uh, his name is Steve Pallick. Steve, welcome to the show. Hey, Matt. How are you? Yeah, man. Great. Fantastic. Uh, awesome. Enjoy Enjoying life, man. Enjoying life. Um, so tell me, uh, Steve, or maybe tell our viewers, uh, if you would, just a little bit about yourself, what's your background, and then give us the elevator pitch about uh, Auxilia. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, appreciate it. So, uh, you know, I, sales uh, runs through my veins. It's in my DNA. Um, you know, kind of always grew up in uh, larger corporations uh, selling knocking on doors, picking up phone calls, uh, and uh, ultimately going into management. And as I've kind of evolved my career into sales leadership, uh, chief sales executives, um, positions, really just working for smaller organizations, I just really realized that I wanted to do it on my own uh, with with partners I trusted and uh, respected. I, I learned a lot of what to do, and I learned a lot of what not to do, and I think that was what uh, really motivated me. But secondly, I just really wanted to give back. Uh, you know, we are a donor management software system. So think CRM for nonprofits. And uh, our whole focus is on uh, donor outreach, donor engagement, donor retention. And that's so critically important for nonprofits uh, as they try to thrive. Um, you know, they're the backbones of our communities, uh, helping us uh, in, in moments of disaster, uh, heartache, uh, you name it. And so we really just wanted to give back. Uh, start a company and um, you know help them grow. Well, um, you actually said to me once that uh, most nonprofits are born out of tragedy, and your uh, experience was also a personal tragedy. Um, would you be so kind as just to walk us through what happened? Yeah, you know it's it's interesting. It 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 maybe sounds a little sentimental or cheesy even. Uh, I lost my brother a long time ago. Uh, only those that are really close to me know that. Uh, I, you know, my, my parents lost their, their first son uh, to uh, a rare, a rare disease, a, a, a cancer, but a, a rare disease back in the day. And, and, you know, I always kind of remember um, my mom and dad talking about community and really everyone rallying together for my parents. I mean, one of the most awful things that you can experience, right? A loss of a child, um, you know, and, and it really was, had a profound effect on me as, as a teenager and young adult, and then probably lost myself a little bit going into corporate America and, and, you know, providing for my own family and things of that nature. Um, and then when I was kind of going through the, the rat race, if you will, of corporate America and, and just the, the burn and churn of grow, 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 um, I just thought there had to be something bigger and better. And it kind of my brother came full circle t uh, to me uh, in the sense that, hey, I, it's just time I give back. You know, my life's half over and that's OK. Um, but I, I, I don't want to be doing what I'm doing. I want to I want to give back to as many people. And there's not a week that goes by, Matt, that there's not a nonprofit where there is completely pulling at mine and my partner's heartstrings, whether it be, you know, an assault, uh, whether it be, you know, we, we had one recently where, you know, their child was um, sitting on the doorstep and 
with with, with their father and uh, drive by happened and the child is no longer with us and that's the type of organization that I want to help and that that's absolutely horrible um, but she's such a strong individual and she's helping others that are going through that that type of tragedy so it's it's not all tragedy mm-hmm. uh, but certainly there's a lot of you know I mean everyone knows Red Cross everyone knows you know the the, the American Heart Associations but there's 1.5 million nonprofits in the United States and the vast 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 majority are small to mid-size that you've never heard of that are doing great things in our communities mm-hmm. so um, you touched on it earlier, but I'd love for you just to, you know, give us the tweet on what's the issue here <clears throat> that you guys are actually solving. Because there's obviously it's quite nuanced, isn't it? It's like yeah. donors, it's like CRM for for uh, for nonprofits essentially. Um, so, if you would, what's the issue? I mean, what were they doing before? Like, how did you guys come in? Like, what's the context for the problem that you're solving? Yeah, you know, so this is just my opinion. Um, I, I I think there's a whole lot of truth to it. You know, the pandemic affected so many people negatively. And I think the pandemic also affected nonprofits negatively, but I also think it shined a very bright light on the fact that this sector has been really well known as being late adopters to technology. Um, you, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of nonprofits are run by baby boomers, nothing wrong with that at all, um, but they don't necessarily know how to communicate to the younger generation. So there's actually less donors Donations have been going up for years, right? Even in the pandemic, I think donations grew in the United States by almost 7% um, to almost $500 billion a year. That's a big number, right? The 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 issue is re- reaching out, outreach, engagement, retention. Um, they, they understand how to reach out to one or two generations, but they're not sure how to communicate to the younger generation. So it's not just about the younger generation. It's about providing a tool that is going to hit every generation the way that generation wants to be communicated with and the way they want to, they, the way they want to give. Um, the younger generation doesn't know how to write a check. Um, they're dealing with Venmo and, and bill pays, and they probably don't even have a checkbook. And so at the end of the day, you're not going to have them give you their credit card. They want to be able to do things very simplistically. So our whole goal was to provide a a program that, uh, you know, frankly, was able to streamline that entire process, take a lot of different platforms and build it into one. Mm-hmm. So, how big is this market? Like you mentioned, there the TAMs one and a half million. But if you were to put a dollar value on the on the problem that you're solving or the market opportunity, what would you say that that is? Yeah, it's a it's a ten it's a ten billion dollar marketplace in the U.S. alone. So it's significantly more if you're looking globally. We are a global software company uh, doing business uh, elsewhere other than the United States. Um, but at the end of the day, U.S. alone, ten billion dollar marketplace. So um, I'm curious about the space because one, I, I really don't haven't had much exposure to it over the years, but it's interesting to meet a, a startup founder such as yourself, Steve, who's going into the space <clears throat> with a, with a mission to really make a difference. Um, and I'm curious to um, spend a bit of time around the nonprofit industry because I, I, I think if, unless you're actually in it. You know what I mean? Like you, you're sitting on the outside, maybe you donate to it and maybe you have like a corporate con- giving program or whatever. And, you know, there's five nonprofits that you, they, the company matches your benefits to. Um, and so uh, trends wise, what would you say is actually happening in the nonprofit sector?
Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. And what what was specifically in the nonprofit sector? Ask me that one more time. Yeah, just top line trends. What's happening there? Has the in America, for instance, for instance, in from the pandemic, have a lot of nonprofits gone out of business? A lot of nonprofits have gone out of business, um, and a lot of nonprofits are really struggling. I don't have the specific statistics on how many of the one point five. Um, there's so many that pop up. Um, again, due to tragedy or rare disease or whatever it might be. But I, I think at the end of the day, uh, the trends are positive uh, in a recession, you know, not recession proof like healthcare industry, of course. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what the economy is, people still unfortunately pass away. But in regards to the nonprofit sector, a lot of people want to give their what disposable income they have to nonprofits, to the community. Um, really the factors have been and why we went into the space is there are a lot of awesome competitors and, and I'm, I'm very proud to be a part of that group. But I think that a lot of the software is very complicated. Um, most most nonprofits, right? The va- again, the vast majority are resource constrained. They don't have multiple people in a development department or a marketing department to do all the things. And so some of the problems we're trying to solve is really give them the most simplistic tool where you don't have to give them a knowledge base article. You don't have to give them a video to show them how to use it. Like you, you just, you just have to be smarter than a fifth grader um, to, to be able to do the software. And I, and I mean that jokingly um, the software is very, very simplistic, but the trends are uh, charitable giving continues to increase. And the trends are technology needs to be adopted very quickly whether you're a fan of social media or not whether you see the benefits of social media or not you have to you 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 absolutely have to take that route if you're a nonprofit and so again a lot are run by baby boomers who are fine with Facebook but maybe have not taken to Instagram or even LinkedIn i had a question this week you know why would i want to use LinkedIn and you know you you educate and you 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 tell them why the reasons are and and we're one of the few companies that has that built-in integration with all social media so you can post directly with our platform to those making their lives just far more simplistic but giving them a substantial uh, a much larger outreach program than they have today so is it fair to say that you're like the hub spot for nonprofits yeah, you know, so, I mean, like we use HubSpot as our CRM. I mean, phenomenal company, love HubSpot. Uh, they've been instrumental in our growth. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, I, I start off by saying CRM, you know, we're we're known as a DMS, donor, donation management software solution, right? Um, it is very CRM-esque. Uh, so it's, it's, but it's, yes, I mean, it's, 
we're like Hub, HubSpot for nonprofits, but you still may want to use HubSpot. And that's why we partner with them um, in regards to like your calendar and your task management and things of that nature. But in regards to the outreach, to the tools that we have, HubSpot wouldn't have those things. And, you know, that's just not their, their core business. Um, but yeah, very similar. So what have you built then? Yeah, so at the end of the day, um, there's really five substantial modules uh, today. Uh, so on December 2nd, 2022, uh, a lot of our clients will use an organization like MailChimp or Constant Contact to do their email marketing. Two phenomenal companies. Uh, we replace. Uh, a lot use Excel. We replace um, You know, to manage their donors, right? They have a list of donors and an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, very complicated to be able to manage that appropriately. Uh, Eventbrite is a very well-known event tool, right? To to book a meeting or a party, uh, we replace that. Hootsuite, awesome social media platform uh, that a lot of nonprofits will use will replace that. We're also the merchant through our relationships with our merchant providers. At the end of the day, we're, you're you're going to be able to email through our platform. You're going to be able to post to all five major social media sites. Uh, through our platform, you're going to be able to do events with tickets and registrations through our platform. You're going to be able to send out mailers through our platform, and you're able to, you're going to be able to send out peer to peer. Like a, a lot of schools will do peer to peer events where they're, you know, you have to raise X amount of money for an individual. Uh, you can do that through our platform as well. So it's been it's been very rewarding to hear the feedback about Auxilia. You know, two of my partners are former executive directors, so we, we've walked a mile or a million in the shoes of a nonprofit. We've lived it. We've used a lot of the software that's available in the marketplace as users. Uh, we've also had, worked with small nonprofits that have we couldn't afford the software, so we, we pieced it all together. So our whole goal was to, to bring those three or four or five different platforms that virtually every nonprofit, small and mid, are using into one cost-conscious platform. So how many nonprofits do you have using your software right now? You know, over 300 currently today. We are, as you said, built in Colorado. We are a startup. We're, you know, we're going, getting ready to go into our third full year. Um, you know, we've had Salesforce for about 16 months. Uh, so we're super proud of how quickly we've been able to grow. And uh, we're excited about a couple new opportunities that are going to take us uh, pretty wide and, and uh, far uh, globally. So we're excited about that. So um, according to um, the great and powerful TechCrunch, you guys have raised about a million dollars uh, to date. Is that roughly correct? It's actually not uh, correct. So they need to update the records. Uh, we did we did raise one seven in our first round. We're actually in the middle of our second round. Uh, all in, um, Matt, we're going to probably be somewhere between four and $4.5 million totally raised. That's pretty cool. Um, and when did your last raise close? The last raise is still open, and uh, you know, we I think we're I think we're at two point three of the two point five that we issued. Uh, so we're about two hundred uh, shy, and we should be closing that here in the next couple of weeks. Great. Um, so, how's your experience been raising money in the market at the moment? Yeah, I, so I I will tell you. Listen, um, I wasn't gray before I started uh, raising money, so. Uh, you know, I guess I got to start coloring my hair. But um, <laughs> at the end of the day, it was probably the most uh, soul-crushing uh, experience of my life. And I, again, I say that with a little tongue-in-cheek. I've met the best people. I've got the best stories of, you know, an individual I met at a hotel lobby bar uh, who ended up becoming one of our largest investors. 
Um, you know, I, I am a sales guy by nature. And so talking to people is not really a problem. Um, but when you haven't raised money before, you don't stand on, you don't have that history with the investor. Um, and so it's tough, right? It's tough. Like, this is my dream. This is what we're going to put together. This is what we can do. But everyone sees the results of startups and everyone knows that most startup, the vast majority don't succeed. Um, and so, you know, convincing them about the leadership team, the software, uh, it's been eye-opening. It's been tough. And oh, by the way, we started this thing right before the pandemic. And then a little thing called the pandemic happened where everybody just didn't want to, you know, didn't want to invest further. So it just made it all that it's, it made it almost impossible task, even more impossible. So super proud to be able to raise, you know, at this point, almost $4 million uh, over the course of two years. Um, but yeah, it's been, uh, it's been tough, man. So what uh, have you learned? So when you say that obviously tough times help you grow you know uh, adversity helps you do things you didn't think were possible before so uh if you were to think about like okay so you know you spend six months trying to raise four bar let's say um what stands out for you as a kind of like a key you know insight or lesson or wow moment you know that you feel like other uh, founders in a raise could benefit from knowing you know what? I would take all of your projections and make them a million times more conservative. You know, you always have, you you always have what you believe you can do, um, and what you, you you look at the history of what I've been able to do from a sales perspective, and you you bet on yourself. I think that modeling it every which way and giving and and solidifying a very strong board early is so critically important, right? Checking your ego at the door and having that, those board members check your math, looking at the reports, looking at the data and poking holes, as many holes as you possibly can. And I think that's been the piece, right? We, we had to make very quick adjustments um, early 2021. Um, I take that back, uh, end of 2021 um, to make sure that we were okay. And, and that was important, right? I mean, to be able to have those experts on my board uh, to provide us that uh, experience and that intel and that thought process was really critical to make quick decisions. And I think a lot of people um, wait too long and are afraid to make decisions. I'm not afraid to fail. Um, I knew going in this was going to be really tough. I, I learned from my failures and not my successes. But yeah, I think I think for me, it's all around data, using data. Like our software's data for, for nonprofits to help them grow. We need to have our internal controls in place uh, and governance in place to make sure that not only our investors are protected, our employees are protected, and our clients are protected. So how do you put a board together? Because often I think there's often a misunderstood idea about yeah. the role of a board, isn't there? It's kind of like, well only when you're a publicly traded company and you've listed, then you must get a board or maybe when you've raised a hundred million dollars, then you get a board. Like, but it's not for me if I've got 10 people, you know, 10 en- or eight engineers, a project manager and like myself, you know, then I don't need a board. So when in your experience, Steve, would you say is the right time to start thinking about putting a board together? Is it, for example, when you know you're going to be on a funding journey at some point in the in the next 12 months or four quarters? Like when, what's the spark that goes, hey, I actually need a board here? 
So listen, I've worked for a lot of awesome people and uh, I've, I've worked for a lot of awesome companies and the last couple I've worked for, I've, I've either been on the board and, or I've been uh, in the board meetings presenting as their head of sales. Your question is when I knew before I started the company that I wanted a strong board. Um, you know, I, I, I think I'm not an attorney, so this is not legal advice, but I, I will tell you that for me, I felt getting additional investors was far easier, even though it was extremely difficult when they saw that my board wasn't just our, our my partners, right? So there, I have two employees. My partner, Aaron Gray, and I are on the board. Uh, I'm the chairman, but I have five other board members that are non-employees. Uh, so they could outvote, uh, they can outvote us. And that was important to me. That was important, not, I, I wasn't required to do that. But I wanted to put those controls in place to make sure that our investors felt strong and felt excited about the fact that we're going to do the the crossing of the T's and the dotting of the I's. Look, I know several startups that don't put a board in place. Um, I think that's a mistake. And, you know, I, maybe the fact that I have seven a board of seven being this small and a startup is too many. And I've been told that, too. Um, at the end of the day, I, I just feel like, again, I've checked my ego at the door. I want that expertise. I think it's critically important that they're not your friends. I think it's critically important that you have a, a diversified board. You know, I think it's important that you don't have five board members, all that are great in sales. You know, you need you need operations, you need legal, you need HR, you need those types of things to make sure you have those resources to bounce ideas off of. Yeah, because isn't the role of a board not to listen to the CEO? Correct. Yeah. <laughs> listen, I, it, it's great. I, I've Every single board meeting has evolved into something different, right? Hey, we want to look at it this way. We want to look at it that way. And, you know, they they trust me and they respect me, but at the same time, they know they can challenge me. I mean, that's the only way Auxilia and any company for that matter is going to succeed um, I don't have a board of people that talk to just hear themselves talk. We, we, we all know those people. Um, you know, I have a board that's genuinely um, invested and and concerned and dedicated to the growth of, of the organization, which I love. And Steve, are any of your investors on your board also? Yes, th uh, there are. Not all of them. Uh, we, we do have some non-investors non on the board. Um, you know, and, and the, the good thing too is like, We've already we've already replaced a board member. We had a board member that just based on time allotment, uh, they weren't available when we needed them, and and we had a conversation, and they stepped down. And it, it doesn't have to always be ugly. It doesn't have to be a, a problem. It was a a genuine conversation, and I think that's also critical, right? We have to make decisions bef before it's too late. Um, everybody does. It's not just auxilia. Like you, you have you see what's going on in the world now. All these people being let go. You know, we we need to be fiscally responsible, and we need to make sure that uh, we we do. We have those controls in place, and we're always looking at the pro formas and making sure we're making educated decisions that don't impact uh, negatively uh, our company. Uh, and Steve, how did you get to the number of four million in terms of the that round allocation? Like, how was that? What drove that thought? Like, why wasn't it five or three? Like, yeah, what drives the thinking? <laughs> Fair question. Um, based on where, how many salespeople we had, you know, our cost as an organization, uh, our overhead. You know, when you're a software company, you don't have a ton of different expenses. You have payroll, 
you have development uh, and you have some ancillary things like legal and marketing. Um, you know, you don't have a ton of, of things to look at on the balance sheet and say, you know, where's the money going? It's, it's going to a handful of places and not substantially all over. So when we put those projections in, excuse me, after the first raise on what the sales team was, was selling and kind of where we wanted to price our, our software uh, and, and the development that we wanted. We knew we, we know that we want to continue to innovate, right? If you're not innovating, if you're not changing, if you're not growing, you're dying. Uh, and so at the end of the day, it was really important to us to stay ahead of the competition. Uh, though we may be the, the lesser known, <coughs> excuse me, CRM in this space, uh, we're probably one, one of the more robust. And so you know, for us, it was to look at what can we do to continue to stay ahead? How much is that going to cost us to do that? And then we came up with our number. Um, so are you thinking about an exit or have you started to think about an exit? So, you know, I got I to worry about uh, since we're on your podcast for looking statements, right? Um, you know, absolutely. I mean, you're always looking. There's there's not really been a week that's gone by that uh, we haven't received a phone call um, you know, of interest. This space is extremely hot. There's been several transactions in this space uh, that have, have have paid handsome uh, returns. Our focus right now, Matt, is to simply grow the company uh, and to get to an extremely healthy point. Um, I, I think our investors and everybody would, would certainly love to exit one day, um, but I think we have the investment group. They're all angels <clears throat> to grow this thing appropriately uh and frankly again i'm going to say this word for a second time as cheesy as it sounds i've never made a difference in the world and we're making a difference now i i, I don't just believe that i see it I, I i there's not a week that goes by we don't get a testimonial from a client that says we wouldn't still be here if it wasn't for auxilia um, Giving Tuesday was this past Tuesday, and I, to see all the feedback from our clients, I mean, t- this tells me when I wake up on Wednesday that we're doing the right things. I know the question was, what's the plan for an exit? The plan right now is to to uh, change the world of one nonprofit at a time. You know, I, I believe we are, and I, I, if as we grow and we add so many more nonprofits, we'll make the decisions that are right for our company, our employees, and certainly our investors. Yeah, of course. <clears throat> so uh, you've got a lot of strategic partners. Uh, you got, you know, APS Training Academy, Card Connect, Center, Prosper, Nonprofit Hub, DoMoreGood.org, like yeah. loads of them. Um, what role has strategic partners uh, played in your ability to scale? I mean, probably the most important. It's, it's the old saying, you know, work smart, not hard. I think that we are, you know, when we started the company, we were far more outbound, meaning we were picking up the phone, dialing for dollars. Uh, and as we started to gain traction in the space, you know, to to align ourselves with critical and very influential consultants uh, in the nonprofit space really opened a lot of doors for these strategic partnerships. Listen, my goal, add 20 strategic partners a year, minimum. Uh, it, it needs to make sense for both parties, but that's really what we're trying to do. It, it, it's a warm lead. It's, it's a trusted advisor to say, you need to go check out Auxilia. But the cool thing is, you know, my partners and I, 
we've worked for entities that have had very strong partnership programs in the past. So it wasn't, we weren't building something from ground floor. We knew what we were doing. Uh, we knew how important it was. And I think the critical piece that most companies miss, a partnership's a two-way street and Auxilia is a two-way player, meaning we're not just sucking leads from our partners and not giving them anything back. I'm not talking about revenue share. I'm talking about we actually, our sales team is very, very good at passing leads back to our partners. We have our partners on webinars to help them with you know lead flow into their organization. So we're we're vested in our partners as much as our partners are vested in us. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd love to uh, maybe just spend a bit of time on, <clears throat> on failing because uh, obviously you mentioned it just a little while ago, what would you say in the process of building uh, this business has been the greatest failure, quote unquote? Uh, you said you learned from your failures, and what did you learn from it? I, I think that I, I think the failures have been a few things. Um, I don't think there's I don't think there's been one like gotcha failure. I think that when you're a startup, you can't afford everything that you want to do, right? So I think that, and and I mean zero disrespect, you maybe aren't able to get all of the type of talent that you want in your organization day one. Um, so th- there might be some settling there. I, I learned the hard way to where two two is not always better than one, right? Two is not always more than one. You can hire a stronger salesperson um, who's going to sell more than two weaker salespeople. Um, that was a failure, That a failure of, you, you know, let's hire a bunch of people because all of them are going to sell X amount of deals. Development. We're a software company. Uh, we develop on a monthly basis. We send out, we, we do monthly releases. Um, I've been in software a decent amount of time, yet I still felt that I could figure it out. Uh, hire the right people and develop faster and not have as many bugs and not have as many issues and and hit the time frames um, uh, on the IT schedule on the on the roadmap. And uh, surprise, nope, it, it's it's it didn't move as fast as you wanted to. So that was that was a failure. I think the planning of of not having the the proper controls in place for that was was a piece. And then I think the third and the final is projections, right? have poking as many holes, failed at what we thought the projections would be and failed not in the sense of like we're struggling, failed in the sense of, you know, you, you always think you can do more than you end up doing. And at the same time, there were areas where we were we were growing too fast as a startup and we had to pump the brakes because at the end of the day, we were we were crushing our onboarding team with nonprofits that wanted to come on board. So some of that proactive foresight should have been and controls should have been put in place that weren't um the thing that i probably haven't figured out yet and i'm not afraid to tell you is that um you know we're we're a 14 employee organization and you know we probably need to be 20 22. Mm -hmm. um how do we do all the things we want to do with the 14 people that we have that's that's been tough yeah, it's uh, I suppose getting the right people in the right bus seats, um, but then also this is the this is actually a great point of departure because I was going to ask you about scaling responsibly because kind of like you you kind of preempted yeah. the question to some degree, <clears throat> excuse me, when you were saying that um, you you were crashing your onboarding team, 
Um, and now you, you're going to you know, final, finalize this round. Um, and so now you're going to have capital. And so there, again, represents that decision, isn't it? Like you said, we have, we have to make decisions. So how do you scale responsibly when you're liquid? Do you know what I mean? Because it's interesting because you kind of like, my, there's one mindset, mindset where it's like, cool, we've got this cash to burn, let's burn it. Investors need a return, so let's burn it and just go for it and maybe hire one or two more onboarding people so we can get throughput onto our systems or just grow our pipeline, you know, by 300% every month and then, yeah. you know, 10%, 20% of that closes. So then we're going to be, gen, you know, and you can start to do the math, like you mentioned, the forecast and, and you know, and it's nice, it's, it's, um, it's exciting, isn't it, to drag that, column across <laughs> on excel and it's like cool we're making a hundred thousand dollar profit this month 12 months time it's like you know 1.2 and it's like well spreadsheets do lie um and at the end of the day it's this balancing act isn't it and you have to kind of use some kind of intelligence whether it's intuition or actual hard numbers to make the right decisions but how do you scale responsibly like what what inputs do you look for steve that allows you to decide okay this is too much or this is too little. Yeah, so we we we've built an internal pro forma essentially to take a look at you know how many customers can an onboarding specialist realistically do in a month, right? And so we we really extrapolate that out to see okay if the sales you know we know our projections we know our average salesperson sells X amount of deals a month, and we know that they sell it at, at X amount ASP you know the the average sales price. Um, and so we know also what the revenues are coming in and we look at that and we look at, we, we, we ticket through our CRM HubSpot. We understand the chats that are coming in. We know when calls are coming in, how many calls are coming in, how, how long it takes us to respond. So all, all of those controls are in place and then we build that out. And so we know, for example, I won't give you the exact numbers, but X amount of clients, once we have X amount of clients, we need another customer service rep. Once we sell X amount of deals a month, we need another onboarding specialist. Uh, we also do a ton of cross-training. Um, so we've been lucky enough to, to have the, the current staff, you know, my family, not literally, but, you know, the auxilia family where they're so strong and they are cross-trained to where if, if onboarding is slow and service is high they can they can actually take some chats they can take some phone calls but your question is how do we make sure we we spend that money wisely that is what i've leaned on the board for substantially is to take a look at all right we have this money how do we want to deploy those funds uh, we want to make sure we obviously can make payroll every single month which we do and um you know we we want to grow reasonably look i i'll end on this you can have you can have the the crappiest product you can have the best product you can have the best leadership team you can have a horrible leadership team the, it comes down to this you have to sell if you're not selling whether it's good or bad if you if you're if you're not selling whether your leadership's strong or not none of it matters you have to bring in you have to bring in revenue that's that's the name of the game and so for us our focus is though we are a software company we will always run auxilia as a sales organization yeah, and that's a great philosophy and culture to have, right? Everybody's selling all the time. Like, because every in engagement that you have, whether it's project management or onboarding or an actual salesperson or the CEO, like you're creating this experience, right? And like, I've, I've learned, like, the, once you've landed a client, like they go, yes, I'm in. Like, the first 48 hours are the most important 
because it's what you do in those first 48, sometimes, you know, 72 hours that uh, in most cases determines whether that customer will stick around or buy from you again. Um, Cause it's like, it's because I think there's so much effort and focus put on making the sale. And then it's like, okay, I closed you, Steve, you know, it's right. like now what? Now it's someone else's problem, you know? And so it's, if you, if you don't think about that experience for, especially in the early days, like the onboarding, I actually feel safe that I'm giving you my nonprofit business. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Versus like, oh shit, you promised me the world and now my, your experience isn't meeting that expectation that you set up front. Then that's where the issues start to, to happen. And that's where, you know, I'll, again, I'll, and I, that's really kind of what the family here is all about, right? Anything we can do to help the sales organization succeed, because if they're succeeding, the company is flourishing, to undersell and to overdeliver. We're, again, in this space, one of the few, if only companies that we have a dedicated client team, we have a dedicated fundraising team that's given to our clients. Do you know how important that is? You know, you have you have these executive directors, right? The executive director is the CEO of a, of a for-profit company. It's the highest title within a nonprofit organization. They have, they're triaging on a daily basis. For them to be able to bounce ideas off of fundraising experts that we have here at Auxilia on staff, it's worth its weight in gold on, on what Auxilia is doing. And then couple that with another human uh, that's going to be answering their questions and making sure they're using the software appropriately is, is just it's just key to our success. We're a software company, but we don't want to be remembered as a software company. We want to be remembered as a partner to not only our strategic partners, but our nonprofit clients. Um, Steve, I want to have a bit of fun with you. So if I yeah. give you the, if I gave you the keys to the Matt Brown show time machine, and I told you to go back to yourself on day one and you, and if you think about all the things you've succeeded at, failed at, blah, blah, all the learning, the growth, the suffering, <laughs> all that stuff. What advice would you give yourself on day one about building this business? I would have given my, the advice I would have given myself was you should have done it sooner. Um, I, I would do it all over again. And, um, you know, I, I would do deal with the sleepless nights and the 16 hour days. And uh, you want to know why I answer it that way? Because it's my partners that make this company beautiful. I, I selected the right people uh, to, to go into this adventure together. Um, and so it would be hard for me to say anything other than that. Yes. Um, would love to have raised more money um, in the first round. Uh, would have loved to, you know, have hindsight and say, I, you know, I wouldn't have hired as many salespeople or I wouldn't have hired this person. Um, but that's, you know, what does that do for me? It doesn't do anything. I, I you, you learn through your mistakes and your failures. We, we've done that. Uh, we're going to continue to make mistakes. And as long as we're learning from that and not making the same mistakes over and over and over again, uh, that's so critical. But yeah, I, I, I would do it all over again. I, I was a chicken. I, I wanted to start my own companies, um, you know, probably 10 years ago. And uh, I didn't do it. I, w I was afraid. And uh, I'm so glad I'm, I'm no longer afraid. It's, it's the best. I, I, I will say this. And every CEO you talk to or every founder you talk to, I think can relate. Listen, I've never made less money in my life. And I've never been happier. <laughs> yeah that's actually true um on the timing thing uh i don't think you ever it's it's like it's ever too late you know like i was chatting to uh my client in new york uh, a couple of weeks ago we we're having dinner 
and I paid $200 for a steak. And he shat myself. I was like, oh my God, this better be the best steak ever. It was really, it was good, but it was still a $200 steak. <laughs> I'm still trying to get and wrap my head around uh, the US prices in some places. So um, anyway, so we're having the steak and, you know, having a nice chat and we're talking about time. And I said to him, yo, like I'm 43 and I just feel like, I feel like I'm running out of time. Like this is it. Like I've got to make it now. And, you know, there were two kids, university soon, blah, blah. Um, and he's like, yo, well, I'm 53. And he says, I don't feel that pressure at all. And I said, so why is that? And he says, well, if you take 43 years and you minus the first 21, you're left with 22. So you've actually only been working from your in your entire life. And in those 22 years, I founded 14 startups. <laughs> so he said, you know, and think about all the learnings from that and all the failures yeah. and things like that. I had a couple of exits, whatever. Anyway, um, so... Uh, and it's an interesting idea, isn't it? Because you've, if you've only been working for 22 years, if you added 40 years onto 40, okay, maybe let's do 30 years, right? Or another 22 years, where do you think you could go? So it is compounded, I believe, but it's never too late to start. And that's the I, thing. I, I agree with you and, and I, I I couldn't agree with you more. I, I don't mean it from the perspective where I felt like I, I would have liked to have done it 10 years ago because um, it – it, it, it almost became too late. I actually mean it because I've never had more fun. I've never, I've never had more heartburn. I've never had more nerves. Um, but at the same time, I've never had more fun. And I wish I was having this fun 10 years ago, but I don't, I don't, you know, it was your time machine question, right? I, I don't sulk in that. I don't think about like, ah, if I would have started this, you know, 10 years ago, um, I'm just, would I think my point in, in telling your viewers is go do it. Go do it, you know, and smile while you're doing it. Just go do it. Don't hesitate and go for it. Why not? Mm -hmm. So, Steve, here's a question for you. Are yep. you more scared? Were you more scared on day one? Or are you more scared now that you have, or you've, you know, let's just say like you close your $4 million, you've got, you know, 14 families that you're responsible for and a board and customers which, so it's a whole different context, isn't it? So were you more scared on day one or were you more scared now, would you say? Um, yeah, so um, I'm more scared now. And really? I'm, not, I'm not scared. Um, I'm more concerned would be my word. I, I, I think I was scared to jump in day one. I think I'm concerned because these 13 other amazing people have become part of my family and I know their names and their spouses' names and their kids' names. And, and um, you know, I, I know when their kid's not feeling well and I know when they have to leave work. And I, I know that how instrumental they are to the company and the company wants to give back to them. And, and I want, you know, and, and it's, it's not even that too, it's the clients. I want the clients to, to feel uh, supported every single day. I want to make sure that our software is is um, strong and it's working and it's providing for our clients. So yeah, for sure, more concerned today. And I think if I'm not, I don't know what that says about me, but yeah, fearful, <laughs> fearful day one, concerned day whatever it is. Yeah, that's that's a nice way to say it. I I think I probably would say that day one. I would say probably the first 90 days of the, I actually have this idea for a book. It's like how to survive the first 90 days. 
because that's what it is. That if you can get through the first 90 days and generate enough cash to cover your party costs, so like your monthly costs, family, kids, whatever, rent, houses, mortgages, dogs, cats, food, whatever, like that's your goal. And then you got to work back and say, cool, so you got 90 days to do it. Because I think if you can do it in 90 days then and get out the other side then that's you've got momentum but it's the first 90 days that you know without capital say is that is usually what's the, the hardest at least in my experience and i think in those in those first from day one through the first 90 days that for me is the worst because i think once you've got a customer once you've got one staff like even one person even now with when you've got money and a team i actually find like your you can, it's right to be concerned because the only the paranoid survive in many cases <laughs> yeah right because things I, things <laughs> things fucking change <laughs> and they change quickly um so i get that the concern piece but i think that it's the initial decision especially for a first timer that for me is the, is the hard part because once you've done it like three times it's like yeah i've been here before it's pretty much <laughs> like the uncertainty is just the the certainty right it's like the only certainty that you get um and um but uh yeah for me it's it's the first timer on to make that decision because you have nothing, <laughs> nothing. You, you have no experience even and that's that's the tough job that's great insight i couldn't agree with you more so uh steve let's wrap this up um yeah. what is the vision that you have for auxilia where what's the ultimate contribution that you hope to make to the world you know, I'll, I'll go back to what I said earlier. I, I think the vision for Auxilia is to con is to continue to innovate. And I know that's easy for a software company to say, but let me tell you something. I, as I said earlier, they're, you know, late adopters to technology. However, as baby boomers are retiring and the younger generation are taking over these nonprofits, they are really embracing technology. I want to continue to build a platform because I don't believe one exists today from all of our knowledge of using them as EDs um, to knowing our competitors extremely well and having that market research. There's really not a platform today that does it all from A to Z. That's a whole nother show, right? I mean, at the end of the day, what do I mean by that? There's just a lot of additional modules we want to add, but it's not about just adding a module. Hey, now we do X. It's adding it to be intuitive and simple um you know i i always use I, I won't name names but there's like crms out there that are beautiful and they're gorgeous and they can do so much but you need to hire somebody for two hundred thousand dollars a year to help you run reports out of it we don't want to become that we want to become an organization that is thought of first uh as simple and a partner to our our nonprofit. so our our goal is to change the world one nonprofit at a time uh, you know, I, I, I know all of our clients. I, I still speak to all of our clients and I, I don't ever want to stop doing that. When we're at 1500 clients, I want to have a relationship with these individuals because they're what makes Auxilia. Mm -hmm. Well, Steve, uh, I wish you all the best, dude. Uh, I think it's, it's very exciting, the space that you're in, because obviously it's like you're helping nonprofits help. And with the world being the way that it is today, it's like the more help we can create, you know, in that space, on the ground, whatever that is, uh, you know, the better off we'll be as a society. So thanks for being on the show, man. Hey, Matt. I appreciate you, man. Cheers, buddy. Later. Talk soon. 
Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.